Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have some great guests. We learn a lot. And tonight is no exception because relationships are probably some of the hardest things for Christians. Yes, even Christians. So we have the leading expert, I believe, not only in America, but maybe even the world. His name is Ken Sandy. Would you write that name down? Ken Sandy. And he's with us. And welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice intro, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you have such an interesting background. Of course, we want to find out. It's always amazing how God intervenes in, in people's lives because the, the short of it is that you were really supposed to be a lawyer, weren't you? Well, actually, before that, I was a mechanical engineer, do, engineer doing medical uh, research and development before I went to law school. Yeah. I mean, just how did all this happen? Because you become, you know, in Christian circles, you're the leader when it comes to relationships. And you've saved so many different marriages. So the Lord has used you to do that. And there's so many fights that could have been unless Ken Sandy kind of jumps in there. And so we want to get down to that. Um, one of the first things I guess I'd like to talk about is that you have something brand new and then we'll move back. It's Relational Wisdom 360. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I spent 30 years mediating conflicts in churches, lawsuits, church splits, uh, sexual abuse cases in churches. You name it, I saw it. And I saw God do some wonderful things in terms of reconciling uh, relationships, restoring those uh, broken people. But I, about five years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be better if we could get upstream of conflict and actually teach Christians skills uh, relational skills they could use to prevent conflict in the first place and make it far less likely. So we launched this new ministry called Relational Wisdom 360, which uh, for viewers who are familiar with emotional intelligence, this is a God-centered, biblically grounded, gospel-driven form of emotional intelligence, teaching Christians how to manage their emotions, their words, develop greater empathy, better communication skills, so we have a lot less conflict in our families, ministries, churches, and workplace. Well, let's go to where all this started, because I think it's kind of interesting. You're very forthright about, at first, the relationship between you and your dad. And that, that kind of started with some friction. So be, before you became a peacemaker, you went through a little friction of your own. And how much was that a catalyst to you getting in this line of work? Well, it wasn't just with my father. We, we actually had a, a really great relationship with all the typical occasional father-son uh, conflict uh, that we had, but it, my whole life was just uh, involved with relationships. As an engineer, I managed a research team. As a lawyer, I was involved with people in conflict, um, and I just saw a great need. And then with my father, in particular, I, the, the conflict you're probably referring to is something I tell about just after I got out of law school. I was very zealous in my faith, trying very hard to convert my father. It came on way too strong. Uh, he was very, very gracious, and one time after we'd had some some uh, strong words with each other, God moved me to come up and just confess to him, just humble myself and confess to him. And that's when he began to realize there must be a God if my son <laughs> is willing to humble himself. Mm -hmm. and over the next few years, as my father saw God working to change me, deal with my pride, my arrogance, all the all the sin in my life, and change, and then also saw the results of our mediation and all these uh, lawsuits, he began to realize there was a supernatural power at work, and eventually that all resulted in my father coming to Christ shortly before he died. Amen. 
I think that we get away from times, the scriptures, I mean, God gives us everything that we need so we can have really good relationships with people. Are you surprised that pastors especially are in a congregation where there could be, let's be honest, infighting or gossip or things like that? We forget the words of our Lord to to be able to keep things in check. And um, it's a spiritual practice and discipline that we need help on, don't we? Well, one of our sayings, Michael, is where two or three come together in Jesus' name, there will soon be conflict. And that's not just a line or a joke. Every one of the New Testament epistles uh, involves conflict resolution. Right from the beginning in the new church, we still had people who struggled with sin. They may have been saints, but they were saints who still struggled with sin. And we see in the gospel itself an enormous amount of interpersonal conflict, uh, some of it even involving the apostles themselves. So we shouldn't be surprised that Christians experience conflict. What should set us apart is how we deal with it. We don't just break relationship, turn our backs, and walk away. We strive to rebuild, to restore, to reconcile, to preserve the unity that shows the reality of Christ in our lives. And I can kind of see how God has used your law degree also as far as the mediation that is involved. Because in your peacemaking ministry, that is a big part of it, isn't it? You have to be able to, well, the church sometimes says, look, we can't handle these areas. And what areas do most churches need help before there's like mediation and arbitration and you come in? Well, let me comment first on the law degree. I think there was a twofold purpose that God allowed that. You know, just as he selected Paul the Pharisee to be the the apostle of grace, (laughs) to show the power of his transforming, you know, grace in his life, I think it's interesting God chose an attorney to be a an apostle, a minister, basically, of reconciliation. And I think it's just a display that God can take people who are least likely <laughs> to uh, advocate a certain message or ministry, and he'll use them to show his redeeming power in their lives. Now, as to your question about what kind of conflicts come up in churches, uh, you name it, I, I have seen it. Um, divorce, uh, problems between parents and children, whether the children are young or adult, um, tensions between pastors, their leadership teams, cliques in the church. We see, um, I've seen pastors sue their elders and elders sue their pastors. We've seen church splits where there's a, a race to the courthouse to see who gets title to the church. Um, the nightmare cases we've dealt with are the child sexual abuse cases and a lot of publicity in the mm-hmm. But there's a lot of them that have taken place in, in Protestant churches as well. And they, they really are the most volatile cases you can imagine. The emotional trauma, the spiritual issues, financial legal issues. And yet we have seen God work in amazing ways, even in those the most egregious cases you can imagine. And then there's also another kind of uh, conflict we see in churches is many Christians do business with each other. If yes. you're looking for a new car and there's a used car salesman in your Sunday school class, it's only natural to go and talk to him. So we do a lot of business with each other in the church, and most of the time it goes well. But sometimes there's a disappointment, and people can be estranged. Uh, one case, a pastor called me up, and he had two deacons who were involved in a lawsuit with each other. I asked him, what you know, would that create some tension on your deacon board, obviously? What are you doing about it? He said, well, we've just agreed that they would alternate deacon meetings. They wouldn't both be at the same deacon meeting. Hmm. Which is, which is a long ways from resolving the issue and reconciling the men. 
Yeah, they could be in the parking lot, maybe, by mistake. And then a you know, fight breaks out. You don't know what could happen. I want to tell you something. In seminary, I had a few of your peacemaking books, okay? And in the end, I wish that you were just with me at the first church. It was an um, interim pastorate, okay, that I was involved with. But I had no idea that there were even infightings or gossip or any of those things. It's just I was late in the game. Um, it would have been great if you were right there with me. Or even better, it would have been really great if I took this course, Relational Wisdom 360, well, you know, I, I always tell pastors when they're interviewing and considering a call to a church, whether temporarily or on a more permanent basis, is ask for about 10 years of the elders or deacons meet, meet, meeting minutes. Um, because when you interview a church, they'll always be on best performance mm-hmm. state. But if you dig into the minutes, you can often find... Uh, there's been some serious broken relationships in the not-too-distant future, which the new pastor is going to inherit. I would have to recommend, I mean, having gone to seminary, I made that clear, but I think I think more of the students should take your classes or read more of your books, or there should be more of this in seminary, because in the end, it really is about people. I mean, it's all about can you get along with people, and why is it so difficult, and are you surprised that when people leave seminary, uh, how difficult it is that people, they're entering the ministry because they want it to be a, a peaceful sort of thing. They love the Lord, but uh, and the next thing you know, they're selling used cars. Well, it, that is true. Um, one of the things I've, I say again and again when I speak to pastors groups is I have never in 35 years of ministry seen a pastor lose his pulpit for poor Hebrew skills. It's <laughs> never a deficiency in our technical abilities, or seldom. I mean, if you have a man that just truly can't preach, that will eventually catch up with him. But in almost every case, it's going to be not a technical deficit, but a relational deficit. Uh, click in the church, there may be tensions in his own family, the, the workload, collecting his wife and children. All of those are relational issues. And the other thing is, people come to churches with all sorts of unreasonable expectations about the pastor and other people, and so pretty soon those expectations are disappointed, and that creates conflict. So that's exactly why we've developed the Relational Wisdom course, is to try to help people be more realistic about their expectations, but even more than that, to develop the the character and the relational qualities of Christ. Yes. And how do we get along with each other, love each other, forgive each other, bear with each other, be patient with each other? All of that implies that we'll be interacting with imperfect people week in and week out. But Sadly, Michael, many, many pastors, they, they may have received great teaching on preaching and homiletics and Old Testament, but most pastors to this day do not receive specific training on building and maintaining relationships. Yeah. Of course, if they don't know how to do it, they can't teach it to their congregation. So again, that's what we're trying to help the, uh, the, the leaders and the people in the pews develop these relational skills before it's too late. Well, nobody sees it as a blind spot. We all think that, okay, I've got, like you said, the theology down or the Hebrew down. And I think that the sensitivity of, and just to let you know what kind of happened, it was a small little town. It was in upstate. And I think the biggest thing is not where I've been in in a seminary, coming out of seminary, but it's more about, do you even care about our little town? Are you one of us? Are you curious to, to find out the history of it? I'm I'm amazed that just... Do you think pastors do that kind of thing? 
No, very often they don't. They, they think if they can get in the pulpit and preach a good sermon each week yes. and lead a good deacon's meeting, uh, they, they will be doing okay. And the real work of pastoral ministry is loving people, is loving the sheep. Uh, imperfect as they are. That's that's where every pastor I know, that's where the greatest stress is. It's not the preaching, it's the people. Um, the great thing is, though, we can learn skills that can turn what is, for many men, uh, a burden relating to their flocks, turn it into something of great joy and great fulfillment as we learn to love as Christ loved his people. You have some great testimony or endorsements, I was going to say, Dallas Theological Seminary being one. Willow Creek Community Church, um, Elizabeth, age 10. Who is she? <laughs> oh, um, we have a lot of, you know, the, the funny thing about our training, whether it's our live seminar or online course, it's being used at the master's level in seminaries, and it's also being used by homeschool families with 10-year-olds. And it's, it's like God's Word. God's Word is simple enough for a 10-year-old to understand and yet it's deep enough we can spend our entire life trying to plumb its depths. So Elizabeth was one of ten children in a homeschooling family who went through the course, and I was thrilled to see how much she learned, how much she incorporated in her own life. I can only hope that the pastors in our master's program will get as much as she did. I want to ask you something. What if every church in America... Okay, well, let's, let's think bigger. Let's think the world, okay? Let's just say that they got into your peacemaking ministries or Relational Wisdom 360, the online course. What would church look like compared to the way it is now? <laughs> well, I think we'd be a little bit closer to the picture Jesus and the apostles give to us in the New Testament um, and in the Old Testament. You know, the Psalms say how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Um, Jesus said in John 13, uh, all people will know we're his disciples if we love one another. And it doesn't mean things that get perfect. It's just like in my marriage. My, my wife and I have been married 32 years. Uh, we've had the normal ups and downs, but we are closer, more in love, enjoying each other more today than ever. Come on, Ken. You know you fight every night. Let's be honest. No, I'm, just... <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's a joke. <laughs> We're, we're, but, you know, when I first started teaching this, Michael, the new RW material, my wife gave me this knowing look and said, Ken, if you're going to be teaching relational wisdom, you've got some room to grow. And mm. she was right. <laughs> There's a lot of things, even after 30 years of mediation, conflict resolution, uh, there were things about just empathy, compassion, tenderness, kindness, listening, communication that I still had not really grown as much as I could. And yet over the last few years, it's, it has radically, uh, dramatically improved our relationship, my relationship with my children, the people I work with. It's just, I love it. And I, I hope I'm different, even more different a year from now. So let's talk about this, because there's a reason why it's so difficult, okay? myself included. I mean, my hand is raised, okay? So when I get really heated with someone, it's just, it's like you have a million different emotions going through, you know, like naming like anger or you've been wronged or things like that. And uh, it, it's difficult to all of a sudden turn that around and say, hey, look, if I was wrong, I'm really sorry. Or uh, maybe it was me or to just think, could I have done something or why? Why in the world do we hold on to think that we're always so right? Well, you hit a key word there. You talked about emotions. And my experience in the church, especially evangelical church, 
is we don't talk too much about emotions. You don't hear too many sermons about emotions. There's more of an emphasis on knowledge, theology. If you just get your thinking right, then everything will fall in line. Well, the Bible itself speaks hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times about emotions. It, it's all over Scripture. It's a big part of who we are as being created in God's image. Uh, there's emotional terms assigned to God the Father. There's emotional terms assigned to Jesus the Son. Um, they had emotions. Now, the difference was uh, the emotions exhibited in the Father and the Son never caught them by surprise, never moved them to sin. With us, because of the fall, every part of our being, physical, mental, emotional, is to some degree corrupted and tainted by sin. But that's the great news about the gospel. Through the gospel, God not only has paid the penalty for our sin to open the way for us to be adopted, united with Christ, but he is working in our lives to give us the ability to to counteract a lot of those sinful tendencies. And so one of the things we put a heavy emphasis on in our training is developing a biblical view of emotions to see that they're designed by God, wired into all of us by his design, and that there are ways, by his grace, we can learn how to be more aware of our emotions, um, to basically take our emotions captive to Christ and harness the power of our emotions for the building of his kingdom. And that's a big part of our training. And we even get into some of the neurology of emotions. To, to me, there you this go. is something pastors should really want to understand. God created the brain. And the brain, the limbic system in particular, is the seat of our emotions. And most pastors, all they know about the brain is it's located somewhere between the ears. <laughs> uh, we should be passionate, <laughs> interested students of the brain and understand how those emotions work, how we can manage them, how we can harness that power. So what if, okay, we treated this whole thing differently when it comes to, let's just say, the church committee or getting into ministry. Let's just say that pastors take brain scans. Before that, to see if they're prepared to, or husbands and wives, or whatever. I mean, it could it could come down. Would that help at all? Well, I don't think a brain scan itself will. You can you can sort of measure activity in the brain through those <laughs> uh, functional MRIs, but you can certainly go through a process of evaluation and assessment to identify your strengths and weaknesses. For example. Uh, a lot of the major programs out there teaching emotional intelligence do have evaluations that you can take to see how self-aware you are, how well you read your own emotions, how well you manage your emotions, and then third, how well you can read the emotional state of other people, and then also how do you manage those relationships in, in, in light of that information. The fact is many pastors are clueless to how their congregation is feeling. They don't mm. read their people very well. I agree. They don't even read their own wife and children very well. But the great thing is that is a skill that can be learned. And that's a big part of our, our training is helping people to pick up on body language, tone <laughs> of voice, even how someone walks across the room, their posture. All of these things send signals to us that give us clues to the emotional state, the thoughts, the concerns, uh, what's going on inside of other people. And we can use that information to love them and actually see when there's some issue developing when it's still in its early stage and not having to wait till there's an explosion of emotions. 
Yeah, because people are really sensitive when they go to church and uh, believers and also people who are just not sure about church and they're going. And and I don't think the pastors really understand or, or church people just how sensitive we could be. Hey, the pastor didn't say hi, or maybe they didn't call, or maybe nobody came up to me, or or some of the people didn't greet me, or just I mean, we we are sensitive people. I can't I can't buy that we're we're overly sensitive. I think that what you're talking about is is kind of all part of that. Wouldn't it be great if people in the church would would have a heightened sensitivity to how we respond to other human beings? Well, someone once said we should have a very thick skin about how other people offend us and a very thin skin about how we might offend others, to be Mm. very sensitive, how we might impact another person, but that we would be, as the Bible says, very slow to take offense when someone does something that would offend us. And that that is, to me, the sign of a a spiritually mature person. He, He is not quick to take offense, but he is very sensitive to other people, reading them well, ministering to them, loving them. Um, in our training, Michael, I tell a story about a conference I was at where I was, had a real major challenge going on in my life. One of the keynote speakers was walking through the lobby. He'd never met me before, and he just walked past me in this crowd of people, got two steps beyond me, stopped, pivoted, walked back right to me, and just said, are you okay? And just out of his side glance of his eye, he noticed a distressed look on my face, realized I must have some kind of problem. And even though he was on the way to give a keynote, he stopped, came back, and ministered to me. Hmm. I will never forget that. I will never forget that. And I want to have that sensitivity to my wife. I want to be that sensitive to my children, to the people I work with, to the people in my church, to the clerk in the grocery store. Amen. That's how how we love people. And that's, that's what our course is designed to help people do. Okay, so you have so many different things going on. It's amazing with the, the peacemaking books that you have and the ministries and, and mediation and counselors. And so this is, I mean, this is all under relational wisdom, but is this for counselors too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of counselors. In fact, that, that just never ceases to amaze me that we have a lot of PhD psychologists and counselors coming to our training and coming up and saying, oh, man, this is so practical. It's so helpful. That's something they can use with their counselees because most people, when they come to a counselor, it's a relational issue, marriage, friendship, work, parent, child, whatever. And our training and our course uh, gives counselors some very practical tools they can help counselees go through to develop their skills in these areas. So who do you go to? I mean, let's just say that you slip one day, okay? And you start yelling at the clerk or <laughs> something happens and you look, we all have a bad day. But is it about asking for help? Is that the problem to say, look, I, something just happened, whether it be a work or wherever it is, I got to call someone. What, what should we do the, the minute that, you know, conflict strikes and we raise our voice and it gets a little messy? Well, of course, ideally, we'd want to have a very sensitive conscience and be really listening to the Holy Spirit. And so yes. there's just many times where our conscience and the Holy Spirit will will just give us a little prompting and we'll realize, ooh, I just said something that wasn't wasn't appropriate, wasn't helpful. So that'd be my first line of defense. Secondly is my wife and, and my children. Um, my adult children work for me and we're in con- constant contact all the time. And so within that circle, to create an atmosphere where we can encourage each other, even bring concerns to each other, share constructive criticism with each other, give advice to each other, um, now, some people are very sensitive within that circle. I am. To do it. <laughs> yeah. um, that was my inclination, but God has helped us all to grow in that. And I, I think I would have to say that is our primary inner circle. Hmm. 
Uh, now adding, you know, my uh, daughter's married, and so she has a husband in the circle, too. Um, but then I, you know, my pastor, very godly man, someone I can go to and trust and share things with when I've got issues that I, I need some outside advice. And I've been just very fortunate over the years to have some just some godly men, friends in my life who interact with me either through church or ministry or just we connect during the week. And, you know, it's good to have men who, who know you well enough that they see you do something that they're concerned about. They love you enough to come and raise the issue. Yes. We all need we all need people like that in our lives. I agree, and that's the interrogating another person's reality per se, yeah. or just exposing yeah. it. And, and they talk about that in church history a lot, as far as you can tell to the church or people, brothers and sisters coming up to each other, if you will. But um, do we do we slide out too much into the back and out the door? Is it not enough accountability in the church? Well, I think many people want to remain as anonymous and unaccountable as possible. They're afraid to really be known. Uh, again, it's one of the things we emphasize in our training. Most people long for a relationship with some other people where they are, where they can be truly transparent, where people would know them for who they really are, not just a facade, uh, an act they put on, to be truly known and still to be loved and accepted. And that's the culture we should have in the church. And yet what my experience has been is many of the people in church every Sunday are putting on an act. They're afraid to be mm. who they really are. They're afraid to mention their struggles with temptation. Um, and they come to church and just put on an act. And that's not how the Lord wants us to be. He yeah. wants the church to be a safe place. It's like going to a hospital. If you were really sick, you wouldn't go into the emergency room and say, Oh, I'm doing well. <laughs> you would lay out every symptom, and you would you would be very transparent. You'd be as specific as you could be because you believe they are there to help you. And that's how we should look at the church. All right. Let's just say people have issues. We all do. You know, I do, and maybe maybe you do a little bit. Just a little. I don't know. I, I think you're perfect, Ken, but that's just me. So. <laughs> So let's just say they go to Relational Wisdom 360. It's uh, rw360.org. No doubt people are going to be interested and want to take your course. And what will they find and, and how can they interact? Well, there's several things, Michael. Uh, on the website you just mentioned, rw360.org, um, they will find uh, a lot of articles there. For one thing, about 250 articles and blog um, posts on marriage, parenting, workplace, confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, politics. You know, I, I had to write a post last November right after the election. There were so many families and churches divided by the volatility of the recent uh, political presidential election. Mm -hmm. So we, we address all the relational issues that come to our attention. So we've got a big, big um, uh, group of uh, blog posts and articles. People can go there look up over 60 topics on the front page about how to deal with relational issues in all those areas. Now, you can also, up under the training section at the top of the page, people can click on the link to online training, and that will take them to our online academy. Uh, they okay. can also just type in academy.rw360.org, academy.rw360. And at the Academy, that is a learning management system we launched a year ago. It's a very high-end, um, beautiful system. You can, you can go through. There's 20 lessons on how to develop relational wisdom. You can do it on your computer, your smartphone, your tablet. You can work individually or as a group. 
There are short teaching videos of about nine minutes. There's demonstration videos. Many of them are Hollywood film clips that we, we evaluate. Hmm. Uh, very, very powerful. There's uh, some online quizzes so you can test your knowledge, discussion questions, Bible studies, uh, you name it. And this is being used all over the world. I just got back from Europe where wow. there's um, hundreds of people using it in Europe. We're in Africa, Latin America, uh, Asia. But you can go there. You could take your family through it. You could take your church Sunday school. You could have some other couples that you meet with on a regular basis and a small group go through it together. But it is just sort of a walk-through, step-by-step, learning these skills. And, it, and it's uh, only $30 a person uh, for when, they, when people register in a group. So it's very inexpensive uh, to do something like this. Well, the bottom line, and people should know, is that it works. Or else people would invite you back. You wouldn't be doing this so long. You wouldn't be saving marriages of the Lord using you that way. It actually works. So are people surprised that it works? Um. I'll tell you, the thing I'm most probably most excited about, to be honest, is the men, particularly pastors who go through it, who had really sort of given up that they could ever learn these skills, and they start going through the training, and they, they call us up and say, I can't believe it. I'm actually learning how to do this. This is changing my marriage. This is changing how I relate to my people. Um, women tend to be more relationally oriented, more sensitive to emotions than men, and I, I just... We can all learn and grow, but I, to be honest, I'm just especially excited when I see shepherds learning how to manage their emotions, to read their flocks, and to love their people. Yeah. I knew something was wrong with me when you know I wasn't sharing my toys in uh, elementary school or kindergarten and things like that. But it starts there, doesn't it? You have to you listen, you share your toys, you put back things where they belong, you don't talk bad to people. And just between you and I, I was in the bad chair a lot as a, as a kid. And you know, the thing I've noticed both of my children, I've got three grandchildren, you don't have to teach them how to fight. You don't have to teach them <laughs> how to be selfish. It's just the opposite. It is in us. That little children are the greatest argument for the concept of original sin, but that's what makes the gospel so wonderful, is that Jesus Christ came into the world to deliver us not only from the penalty, but from the power. And we can learn to have the relationships reflect that transforming grace in our lives. Yes. Amen. And Ken Sandy has been our special guest. And go to rw360.org. It's Relational Wisdom 360. Where else can people find out about you? Because you're all over the place. You're doing conferences. And where can people learn more? Well, on, on that website, there's actually quite a list of uh, all the seminars we do all around the country. In fact, uh, later in a couple of weeks, I'll be back in Washington, D.C., working with some national leaders, teaching relational wisdom. And I think we all agree that there's a place <laughs> for some improvement there. But also, I just encourage people to go to the, the Academy, academy.rw360.org, and that's the online course. Yeah, Ken Sandy is known as the peacemaker whisperer. I mean, people who, where there's findings and no one can go into the church and figure this out, deacon against uh, elder or pastor against, he, you, you go in and it could be smooth sailing. Could you say a prayer for just the conflict, not only in Christians' lives, but in some churches or even in the workplace and, and may that prayer change us a little bit? Thank you, Mike. I'd love to. Father, we thank you that you are a highly relational God. You describe you yourself to us as our father, even as our friend. Uh, you call us to be brothers and sisters, to view the leaders in our church as our mothers and our fathers. Lord, these are all highly relational terms. You are a God of relationship, of love. 
And even the greatest commandment Jesus gave to us was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, to love our neighbors ourselves, to be in relationship with you and those around us. So thank you, Lord, that you not only give us the command to be in relationship, but you give us the gospel to give us the power and the freedom to be in relationship, to break free from old habits, old ways, and to find a new path, a new way of relating. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in us to prune us, refine us, to give us freedom, to change us to the likeness of Christ, the most relational person who's ever walked the face of this earth. And Lord, we pray you would do this so pervasively in our our families, our churches, our ministries, in our nation. Lord, work through the the believers in Washington, D.C. in particular, that they would be exhibiting and encouraging and promoting relational wisdom in their ongoing day-to-day activities, that we as a nation would move back in this direction and and all this conflict and strife and polarization would be uh, reduced by the presence, the power of your spirit working through your people. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Relational wisdom, it's all about relationships and stronger relationships, valued influence and compelling witness. And so check out Ken Sandy. He's uh, the master of this. We appreciate being on the program. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate being here.